Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. Today is kind of a special day, and I'm not sure how this episode is going to turn out, but it's the 21st episode, and that's kind of a special number in Bitcoin. I actually did an episode early on about the significance of that number, 21 million, which is the total number of Bitcoins that will ever be mined, and you'll be surprised at what biblical significance that number has. And so I just encourage you to go back and watch that episode. It's about uh, Bitcoin's 21 million on Judgment Day. Well, but the reason why this 21st episode is a little bit Hmm, I'm not sure how to describe it, but I guess maybe I have a little bit of trepidation at this point in time because, well, the things that are happening in the world are just startling. And I'm particularly speaking of what's going on in the Middle East. And this is just a trigger for a wider conflict that's been planned, you could say. It's been cooking up for a very long time. And that's basically summarized under the name World War III, which is set to be a nuclear world war. And if that comes to pass, which seems highly likely in light of Bible prophecy, which clearly states that the world will be destroyed by fire, just as it was once destroyed by water. So with that in mind, and seeing the signs of the times, and recognizing the uniqueness of the very times that we live in today. And that goes all the way down to the calendar of God. This month can be understood as the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar, which is the month in which the autumn feasts took place, beginning with the Feast of Trumpets, warning of the impending judgment on the Feast of the Day of Atonement, followed by the Feast of Tabernacles, a week-long, or eight-day, rather, feast, also centered on the theme of judgment. And so, to be quite blunt about it, with the way things are shaping up in the world, I don't know if I will be able to speak to you next week. Will I be able to deliver a podcast? Will you be able to receive a podcast? There's no telling what a world nuclear war would do to our communications infrastructure, to the internet, and to our lives. And it's also a bit difficult to know for sure when such an event might take place. But what we do know, the facts that are on the table, number one, in the United States and in Russia, there were drills, public service announcements, testing the emergency broadcast system and such things. Those are definite preparations, not done for no reason, okay? That's a definite sign. Then, of course, you have the events in the Middle East themselves and how that's escalating. You've got heavenly signs, earthly signs, like the solar eclipse, 
that literally darkened Washington, D.C., and a great part of the entire country. And you've got people like Pope Francis praying for peace at such a time as this. And the Bible says that when they shall say peace and safety, then cometh sudden destruction. But it's deeper than that. And I'm going to read that verse to you right now because it's highly important. And I now, in this very moment, understand why the Lord gave me a specific topic for you this week. Now I'm excited about this episode. All right, let's go to that verse. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3. This is a well-known verse among Christians because it contains such a clear sign for the end of the world. We should actually start with the first verse of the chapter, which fits right to the point of my little introduction here. Verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. I'm just going to continue to the next verse, verse 4, because it's also very important. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Verse 5, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. All right, I'll stop there. I want to cover some things before we really dig into the subject here, some things about these verses that we just read. First of all, I want to emphasize that this concept of Jesus coming like a thief in the night, coming by surprise, is explained here in these verses as being a surprise for the wicked, or shall we just say, in the words of the Bible, a surprise for those who sleep those who are of the darkness, those who are drunken. And that refers in the spiritual sense to intoxication by false doctrine, drinking the wine that has fermented that's no longer entirely wholesome, okay? But Paul in these verses explains that the people of God who are alert, awake, and watching and aware of the signs of the times are not to be overtaken like a thief by that day, okay? So there's something about knowing the time of that day. So part of walking in the light and keeping your eyes open and watching what's going on, being aware, being alert, part of that has to do with knowing the time of this day that comes with sudden destruction as travail upon a woman with child. Okay, we'll dig into all that, but there's a common 
belief or misunderstanding, maybe we could say a willful misunderstanding of the Bible that is often quoted, often repeated, so much to the point that people think it's true when it's not. And that's that nobody can know the time because Jesus said something along those lines. But it's taken out of context and Jesus' own words in Revelation actually clarify what he said. In fact, let's just hop over there right now because this is important because it's commonly misunderstood and therefore it's really worth spending a minute to clarify this. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 3, this is part of the words of Jesus that he spoke, that he dictated as a letter to the church of Sardis. Okay, And he said various things. And then in verse 3, he says, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, same topic as we were dealing with in First Thessalonians, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief by surprise, okay? And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee, okay? Now, if you read between the lines here, the intent here is that you repent of any intoxicating doctrines such as nobody knows the time, nobody will ever know the time, because if you hold on to that teaching, which is another way of saying you're not watching, you're not looking at the clock, you're not looking at the time, you're not paying attention to the hour. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. But that's conditional. If thou shalt not watch, meaning that if thou shalt watch, I will not come on thee as a thief, not by surprise. And thou shalt know what hour I will come upon thee. Okay? Is that clear? If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. But if thou shalt watch, I will not come on thee as a thief, because thou shalt know what hour I will come upon thee. Okay? Jesus himself spoke these words in the vision that John received of the revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, of his coming, of his return. Okay? Now, so taking that back to First Thessalonians, it's the same concepts, the same context, the same illustration. Paul here is talking about the very same things. He's, ta he's talking about Jesus' statement that he will return as a thief in the night. He's literally commenting on the words of Jesus and interpreting them for us, just as I did, to show you that the meaning is that when you're walking in the light, you will know the time, okay? All right, so I think that should be clear now. I think we've covered that. So let's get into what this key verse, verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, actually says. For when they shall say peace and safety, and just to be completely clear, you can find in other translations that the word safety here would actually be better translated as security. When they shall say peace and security. And I point that out because those are the words that are actually used in the globalist propaganda when they talk about all their efforts to improve the world. They always talk about peace, meaning the cessation of wars. Ironically, the, the very wars that they are responsible for provoking. And security, which refers especially to financial security, the ability of 
people to have their basic needs met, addressing the problem of the poor in the world. And these are topics that are extremely pertinent, very much at the forefront of world powers, especially the globalist agenda, like the United Nations, for example, and uh, those organizations that are working on a global level. Okay, And so when you have someone like Pope Francis, who has given his influence to the entire world by speaking at the United Nations General Assembly, for example, and by generally being involved in politics, much more so than any other pope in recent history, global politics. And when he says, pray for the peace in the Middle East, in security, of course, is obviously a big part of that whole equation because it's about Palestinians and Israelis having a place to live, having a roof over their head and having, you know, being able to live and provide and eat and, you know, nourish their families and so forth. So it's it's about peace and security. And when he says pray for peace and security, that's a red flag that sudden destruction is coming. And of course, you can see how that fits in the context of nuclear world war. Everything, all the tensions, all the sort of jockeying has been happening over years, uh, especially recent years, with the dismantling of nuclear treaties, for example, with the trade wars, all these things that have been taking place little by little, you know, step by step over recent years, have all set the stage for this great sudden destruction to come. So, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it, because... It's, it's always hard to imagine a drastic change in the world. It's always hard to imagine going from one day to the next and having the entire paradigm of life on this planet changed in a moment. That's, that's difficult to grapple with. And, you know, on the one hand, and this is where I come to the 21 episodes thing, I still have a lot of what I consider very relevant, very important, very critical, very insightful things to share about Bitcoin and the Bible and how Bitcoin relates to the coming of Jesus Christ. That's the theme, that's the topic of this podcast. And I started this podcast because of an accumulation of insights that I felt was too significant not to communicate to other people, okay? And I have not communicated all those things yet. And so, in a certain sense, I feel like my work isn't done and if I don't have another opportunity to speak to you, that's really hard for me to deal with. It's hard for me to reconcile, okay? I hope to be able to share more things with you in the future. Things which, to me, are both amazing and significant. And I believe they will be to many others as well. So, but on the other hand, the timing of events, and particularly the timing of the Day of Atonement this week is such that I'm not sure I'm going to have that opportunity. And, you know, things don't always go according to human plans. You know, God has a greater plan, and he knows what we don't know. Yet one of the reasons that I started this podcast was also that I felt that Christians, by and large, were not understanding Bitcoin and were disregarding it or even more so eschewing it as something dangerous that would either be or lead to the mark of the beast spoken of in Revelation chapter 13, where there is mentioned a global 
financial system that you wouldn't be able to participate in except you would receive the mark of the beast. And Bitcoin is exactly the opposite of that because it's an open financial system that anybody can participate in regardless of their beliefs or any other characteristics. The closed financial system, the one that you can't participate in, the one where you can't buy and sell unless you receive the mark of the beast, is something other than Bitcoin. And I talk about that in some other episodes. But the point here is that this podcast was born out of a desire to encourage Christians and to open their eyes to the fact that Bitcoin is a divine thing. It's a gift from God, and it's something that is in alignment with Christianity. It's actually prophesied in the Bible, and it is nothing less than a financial system that follows the laws of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what I explain in this podcast, so that Christians can embrace this technology for the benefit that God intended it to have, which is for the salvation of his people in these particular times when the mark of the beast will be forced on the people on threat of exclusion from the financial system and ultimately on pain of death as it's presented in Revelation 13. So the point is that there has been a problem and that problem is that Bitcoin has not been widely enough accepted in a similar way to the fact that Christianity has not been widely enough accepted in its pristine form. And that means without compromising with woke ideologies, with the LGBT agenda, without compromising with globalist infringement on human rights, like through the vaccination agenda. By and large, the churches have capitulated for financial reasons in most cases, tax exemption status and things like that. They have capitulated to the direction of Pope Francis, the one who's urging everyone, all these churches in particular, who are now under his umbrella, to pray for peace and safety. So what I want to say is, and this connects back to the previous episode. In the previous episode, I ended with sort of the discovery, or, you know, it kind of just came out at the end of the episode that, wow, the kingdom of Bitcoin, so to speak, is a kingdom of peace. The whole episode was talking about peace. And then at the end, it was just kind of like, wow, could this be the kingdom of peace, the onset of the millennium of peace? And then I quickly shifted it to the fact that the world is about to be destroyed by fire, which is not a description of a millennium of peace on earth. And so it's that contrast of ideas that I want to explore in this episode that I think is important to understand. And that's that God doesn't destroy the world arbitrarily. And when he threatened to destroy the world by fire, it was in connection with the degradation of mankind. And we see that today in especially two ways. First of all, in the rampant sodomy all over the world, but especially in Christian nations, especially in the United States. And that's something that the churches themselves are largely guilty for because they've embraced it, many of them. All those that are 
in any way benefiting from the state with tax exemption status, you can be sure they have capitulated. Otherwise, they wouldn't still hold their tax exemption status because of discrimination grounds. That's a subject in itself, and I don't want to go into that further, but it's important to understand that that's one of the reasons why the world will be destroyed by fire. Jesus himself said that as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, which were Sodomite cities destroyed by fire, as it was in those cities is how it will be in the end. And again, in the New Testament, it says that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah serves as an example for the end of the world. And it's a destruction from which there was never a reconstruction. It was total and permanent, a perpetual destruction, okay? An eternal destruction, eternal fire, if you will, which is what awaits the wicked at the end of the world. Okay, so the other reason for the destruction of the world is its corruption in its very nature, and that's being done through genetic modification. That's happening now not only in plants, not only in animals, but in human beings who are receiving vaccines that contain DNA, human-engineered DNA, that literally changes their bodily function. It's a hijacking of the biology that God created and of the identity, the genetic identity of the human race. Wow, these are big things. And, you know, all through the Bible, there are warnings about mixing genetics, mixing species, whether it be plants, whether it be animals, whether it be races, human races. There are all kinds of warnings against mixing with the genes. And some of those can be taken more literally than others. But the point, the principle is still there. You know, in those days, they didn't have the ability to directly influence the DNA. The closest they could do was intermarry and have offspring with different genes resulting from the intermarriage. But now we are at the point where technologically, mankind is literally mucking with the DNA directly. And this is what God was warning about. He wasn't so concerned about interracial marriage. That wasn't the point. The point was to teach a principle that ultimately would one day, if not taken seriously, would result in the human race destroying itself through self-modification. Okay, so that is another reason for God to destroy the world. He destroys those who destroy the world. Okay, but the good news in all this is that God saves his people amidst the destruction. So this doesn't need to be a fearful or a negative subject. The problem is, this is the dilemma. The problem is that we as Christians, at least many of us or some of us, have tried to impress upon the world the necessity of repentance and to turn the world around. But the powers of globalism and the attack on, against Christianity worldwide through ideologies, through compromise, through various insidious means has made the influence of Christians basically powerless. And as a result, the world has not come to repentance as a whole, and the time of destruction has come. So 
can we look for a kingdom of peace on earth? Perhaps, I just say, perhaps we could have if the world had repented. Perhaps not even then, but certainly without the repentance, destruction is coming. This same thing is reflected in the secular world through the development of Bitcoin. Bitcoin came on the scene as a solution to the broken financial system. And it's not just a broken financial system. It's actually an orchestrated plan because those in power, those who have power over the money, they know and usurp power over the money specifically because they know that having control of the money allows them to control the world. And so Bitcoin came on the scene as the antidote, putting the power of the money back in the hands of the people in so far as they would opt into Bitcoin and opt out of the fiat financial system. But how has that been going? How many people have switched over to Bitcoin versus how many people have stayed in the fiat system? The same problem that we have in Christian evangelism is there in Bitcoin evangelism as well. And so even on the secular front, you can see that people don't want freedom badly enough, or they don't recognize that they need it. They don't see the peril that they're in. And so one way or the other, whether you look at it from a religious point of view, or whether you look at it from a secular point of view, you see the same thing, which is that the solution is there. The opportunity to change direction is there. The knowledge is there. The preachers, so to speak, are there. The evangelists are there. But the people, by and large, have not repented. They have not turned around. They have not changed their course. And so we can say the same from the perspective of Bitcoin. It is the solution. It is a kingdom of peace. But not enough people opted into it for it to prevent a world nuclear war. Bitcoin is a financial system that promotes peace. But the adoption to date hasn't been enough for that to take effect in the world. The people haven't claimed back enough power from the wicked that rule the world through the financial system in order to stop them from acting out their plans. So that is the problem. The problem is not that we lack a solution. The problem is that we haven't adopted the solution. Okay, and so that brings me to the stark reality that here in this 21st episode, this could be the last episode. I don't know if I will be able to deliver to you another episode next week. I don't know. I have more to share, but I don't know if I have opportunity to share it. As the world is changing, I've also been considering the, well, let's just say the style of this podcast. It started out as something something like a test to see if people are really interested in this subject and to see really what people think about it. Do they, I mean, I myself wasn't entirely sure. I mean, I myself have been sort of growing into this. And in the beginning, I was a little bit tentative to make some of the observations and conclusions that have come out of studying the scriptures in connection with Bitcoin. And so it's been kind of a, a bit of a test and a bit of a 
trial run, so to speak. And it could be that maybe this episode can mark the end of that phase. And perhaps if we have an opportunity to come back, maybe we can come back with a new frame of mind. I don't know. I just feel that we're at some sort of a turning point, and I don't know what form it's going to take or how we should respond to that in in terms of this podcast. All right, but let's continue with the study because it's very much about that turning point. And now back here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. And now we come to the point that I believe the Lord wants us to really dwell on today. As, this is how the sudden destruction cometh upon them, it comes as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. All right, so let's unpack this. As travail upon a woman with child, that's referring to labor pains. A woman that's delivering a child, a woman that's giving birth to a child. Now, the birth itself is not what is referred to here. It says that it comes suddenly as travail upon a woman with child. So, in other words, as labor begins suddenly. That's how the destruction will come. Not, uh, not, not how birth comes, that's how destruction will come. But how labor comes, that's how destruction will come. And that's significant because labor comes as a surprise. The birth does not. Everyone's, especially the mother, is waiting, is, you know, just trying to push the baby out by that point in, in utter pain. There's no surprise at that point. It's... The trouble has come, and, and and she knows where she's at in the process, okay? There's no surprise anymore. The surprise is when the labor begins. You know, a pregnant woman obviously knows she's pregnant, and even when she's full term, she knows she's full term. She knows any day now she's going to have a baby. She knows any day now that labor is going to start, but she doesn't know when. She doesn't know the time, and yet she can know the time, or at least her husband can know the time. <laughs> I'm going to explain that in a moment. But is it clear, first of all, that labor is the surprise element? You never know when labor is going to begin. But when it begins, then you know the process has started. You know the countdown is ticking. You know the baby is going to be born in a matter of hours. So when it says that the destruction comes suddenly, it comes like the travail, not like the birth. The birth comes later. A little bit later. Okay, now let's talk about this thing about how can you know when the labor is going to come. Now, I'm a father. I have one son. And I observed something utterly amazing, utterly unbelievable. It blew my mind when it happened. And I, I simply couldn't make sense of it because it doesn't make sense. And if I had understood what I was experiencing or what I was seeing, I would have known that that day my wife was going into labor. And if I were to have a second child, I would know. I would definitely know that when I see that sign, I would say, okay, now I know the labor will begin. Okay, what was that sign? What is it that if you're alert, if you're watching, if you're not sleeping, what is it that if you're paying attention tells you that the time has come? Well, Paul explains it right here 
in a little bit different words. He says, for when they shall say peace and safety, that's the sign that comes right before sudden destruction. So in the analogy with the travail upon a woman, what is the peace and safety before the travail? And that's what I'm going to explain to you right now. I'm not sure if I should just go ahead and tell the story. I mean, it's kind of a personal thing, but uh, let me just kind of try to get to the point. My wife and I had a special day planned. It happened to be a Sunday and a leisurely day. And there happened to be an event, a breakfast event planned for that day that we attended. And while we were there, we were sitting at a table listening to the host speak about the things that they were speaking about. And my wife was looking around at the people there. And all of a sudden, her attitude and personality just turned a little bit defiant and belligerent. And she just said stuff like, I'm as skinny as that woman over there. And I just kind of had to chuckle and laugh, you know, and I told her something reassuring about, you know, the fact that she's nine months pregnant, whereas that woman obviously isn't and couldn't really compare herself to that thin woman over there. But the more I tried to say something sensible, the more bizarre she began to talk. After the breakfast, we were planning to go for a little walk up a little hill. And she said, I can climb that hill just as easily as any of those other ladies. And I was like, well, I'm sure you can. I knew my wife and I knew she could, but it was still funny to hear her say that. Well, once we actually did go for a walk, by the way, I mean, she just tore up that hill. I mean, I was like, hey, wait for me, you know. <laughs> I was struggling to keep up. But back at the breakfast, things just got so crazy. And she was bold and loud about it, too. I mean, to the point where people sitting at the other tables were literally turning their head to look right while the speaker was speaking. I mean, she was a distraction to the group. And at one point, she just said, point blank, I am not pregnant. And I just, my mind at that point was just like, I don't know how to respond to this. I'm like, um, <laughs> excuse me, you can't really deny your belly at this point. I was just like, man, I don't know how to respond to such blatant illogic. Now, if I had understood what I was experiencing... I would have recognized that what I had just seen was the sign. When they shall say peace and safety. When they shall say, I'm not pregnant. I'm not going to go through pain. When they shall say, we're not going to have war. We're going to have peace. Then sudden destruction comes. Like how the labor pains begin. If I had recognized that what I was observing in my wife was the flipping of a mental switch that in her mind, in her body, in a strange mind-body connection, her body and mind were literally switching gears to say, that's it, the pregnancy is over, it's time to deliver the baby. And she didn't consciously know it, and I didn't consciously know it, but that was the sign. And so it happened. A few hours later, that same day, in the afternoon, the labor started and my son was born that night. So the point is, that's where we're at in human history. That's where we're at in this prophecy, this well-known prophecy 
of 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, that's the sign, that's the I'm not pregnant, then sudden destruction comes upon them like the labor pains begin and they shall not escape. In other words, it's going to happen whether you want it or not. Once you hear that peace and safety, it's over. There's no escape. The child's going to be born. The countdown has begun. The hormones have changed, and there's no reversing it at that point. Okay? Wow. Now, let's go from here into the subject that the Lord gave me specifically this week, specifically yesterday. All right? Let's turn to the book of John, and we're going to go to chapter 3. This is the story of Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, I could probably preach a lot about this, but I'm going to kind of hold back on the common things that any preacher could preach about. And I'm just going to focus on the Bitcoin-related things, okay? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow, isn't that a bold statement? And here we have the subject of the kingdom of God. And we've explored in many previous episodes, kind of as a running theme, how every time Jesus referred to the kingdom of God, you can see how Bitcoin fits the exact description that he gave of the kingdom of God. And so here we see again Jesus mentioning the kingdom of God. And so if we look at that and we think about it in terms of the kingdom of Bitcoin, let's see what Jesus is really saying here and how it could apply to our time right now when Bitcoin is on the scene as a financial kingdom, as a financial system for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. So here we have this theme of childbirth, just like we had in 1 Thessalonians. So the kingdom of God is connected to being born again. It's connected to this childbirth analogy of the coming of Christ, of the end of the world. And so here we have Bitcoin on the scene. Okay, isn't that interesting? Let's go on. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, obviously not. And so the question for us is also, you know, how can we enter the kingdom of God? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind, that's like spirit, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Well, we're going to talk about how those things can be right now. Okay, 
Where shall I begin? All right, so Jesus is talking about two births. One has to do with the flesh, and the other has to do with the spirit. Now, we've talked in prior episodes quite a bit about how Bitcoin is a spiritual system. It's a spiritual money. And by that, we refer to the fact that spiritual things don't have a physical component. They don't have flesh and blood. They don't have substance. They're invisible. They're like the air that maybe you can see its effects and you know it's blowing, but you can't really see the substance because there is no substance. It's just spirit. The word spirit just means breath or air. It's the space where the birds fly. It's the space where the stars are. It's the sky. It's the air. It's, it's the invisible world. It's the invisible kingdom. It's all these things that describe Bitcoin as a form of money that has no physical aspect. It's not like cash where you've got a piece of paper. It's not like gold where you've got literal matter that you can carve or shape and make something out of. It's not like any other kind of money that has a physical component to it. It's purely information. It's purely metaphysical. It's purely spiritual. It's just information. And because of that, it has many special properties that we've talked about in other episodes. But the point here is just that when Jesus refers to being born of the flesh and born of the spirit, and that you must be born of the spirit to enter into the kingdom of God, that points to the fact that Bitcoin is a spiritual money, a spiritual kingdom. It is spiritual wealth that you have to be born into in a certain sense. Otherwise, you cannot have it. You cannot hold it because it's not physical. If it were physical wealth, if it were a physical kingdom, you would be able to literally hold it in your hand. And then you wouldn't need to be born again, so to speak, born in the sp of the spirit in order to hold it. You could hold it as a flesh and blood human being. All right, you'll see where this is going in a moment. So when Jesus said, except a man be born of water, that refers to the amniotic fluid, the being born from the woman's womb. Unless a person is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Well, obviously, if he isn't born of water, he doesn't exist in the first place. But secondly, he has to also be born of the spirit. What does that mean? And what does it have to do with Jesus coming, the end of the world coming, like labor pains upon a woman ready to give birth? In a certain sense, we're speaking both individually and collectively. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus as an individual, but collectively he spoke to Israel or to the world through this metaphor of the end of the physical world being like a woman giving birth. So we're kind of dealing on two different levels here, on the individual level and on the corporate level. Now, what does it mean to be born? Jesus is speaking here about being born again. The first, let's just understand what it means to be born. And in particular, what does it mean to be born in the context of entering into a kingdom? And this is where it really gets fascinating, I think. Well, birth, and again, I am so privileged to have experienced this as a father. I had the privilege of cutting the umbilical cord of my son. 
And that's a special moment because of what it signifies. You know, people say sometimes that life begins at conception, for example, but that doesn't diminish the fact that something important happens at the moment of birth that is unlike anything else. And that is that the baby for the first time becomes independent from the mother. Not fully, it's not weaned yet, of course, but you know, in the worst case, a child can survive without the mother if necessary, but not before it's out of the womb, generally speaking. The cutting of the umbilical cord marks the moment when the baby is separated from the mother for the first time and its life becomes independent from hers. Wow, that is an amazing moment. Not because it's so exciting to cut the umbilical cord. If you've never done it, it's kind of rubbery and a little hard to cut. You kind of really have to squeeze the scissors. And then boop, it's cut and neither the baby nor the mother feel anything. And generally speaking, if you do it right, there's not even any blood flowing at that point because you wait just long enough till the baby's circulatory system has already kind of reclaimed whatever blood it needed from the placenta and the whole thing is kind of done and the umbilical cord is no longer needed. But still, the cutting of that cord signifies the independence of a new life. Wow, that is amazing. That's what it means to be born. It means to become an independent life. It doesn't mean you can provide for yourself at that point. That's not the kind of independence I'm referring to. But the baby is physically independent, is no longer dependent on the physical body of the mother in order to survive. Wow, what implications does that have? Now, remember, we're talking about entering a kingdom here. So I want you to think about this experience of childbirth in the context of royalty, in the context of a kingdom, okay? It says in the book of Revelation that we are kings and priests unto God. And all through the New Testament is this idea that because Jesus became a human, became our brother, that we have become joint heirs with him. We've become princes, kings with him, kings of the heavenly estate. So when a woman, and in the Bible, a woman represents a church, when a woman gives birth to a son, in the context of the symbolism, it refers to the birth of a king who is able to grow and reign in the kingdom of God without physical dependence on the mother. Wow. If the mother represents the church, then what is being shown here is that the child being born, excuse me, I just have to tell you, things are coming out in this study that I did not foresee. And I'm just going with the Spirit here, how the Spirit's leading, and I hope it turns out to be a blessing for you. But I want you to know that this has deep meaning to me as I'm studying this with you. The child is, is born, is separated from the mother, from the church. Think of a, a, a king or priest of God, a child of God, being separated from the church. Are you able to live without the church? Are you able, you know, when, you know, sometimes children are born under tragic circumstances, 
The Bible has several of those stories where something happens to the mother during the course of childbirth, and the child may grow up and never know the mother, for example. You know, in the world today, the churches have gone astray, by and large. Are you able, as a Christian, as an individual, as a child of God, are you able to grow up as a prince and reign in the kingdom of God, even without the physical support of the church? I believe the Lord is trying to show you something, that that's what you're about to face. That's what everyone is about to face at this point in time, as collectively the world is facing this moment of labor pains and ultimately childbirth into the kingdom of God. When your church is destroyed because of its unfaithfulness, because of its sodomy, because of its mucking with the DNA, are you able, has your umbilical cord been cut so that you can survive as an independent life, as an independent child of God to inherit the heavenly kingdom? That's deep. That's really deep. But we're just getting into this. What if we look at this in terms of Bitcoin as that spiritual kingdom? Remember Jesus said, except a man be born again, so one more time than his regular physical birth, he cannot see the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. The, let's, let's say he cannot hold Bitcoin he cannot be a king. He cannot have his own keys to his own estate in the spiritual kingdom of Bitcoin without going through a second birth. What is that second birth? Jesus said to be born of the Spirit. He must be born of the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Spirit, because God is a Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So there are two separate things there. Now, Spirit, as I've mentioned in other episodes, also because it refers to unseen things. It refers to the mental processes. It refers to the thinking, the mind, because that's something you cannot observe through physical means. It's something abstract and metaphysical. It's spiritual. Therefore, we talk about a person's mental state as being his spirit. Ah, uh, he was in good spirits. Ah, uh, he was not in good spirits. Ah, uh, he had a bad spirit. Ah, uh, you know, she has a good spirit, you know, things like that. And so what is it, how is it that a person has to be born of the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of Bitcoin? Well, you have to do your first Bitcoin transaction, right? You have to get on the blockchain. You've got to have a wallet and an address and all these things that have to do with information, these spiritual things, right? And until you do that, until you hold Bitcoin on the blockchain, until you hold Bitcoin under your own keys on the blockchain, you can't really claim to be a king in the kingdom of Bitcoin. Not your keys, not your coin, okay? And that moment when you have your first coins under your own keys, that represents a level of independence that mankind has never known before. And mind you, it's an independence of life. Because everything that you earn in monetary form is a payment or should be a payment for your efforts in life, for, for the things that you do with your life force. And so in a certain sense, receiving wages is encoding your life force into the form of money. And when you do that with Bitcoin, when, when you purchase Bitcoin, 
with wages that you earned from your life, you are encoding your very life into this spiritual form of money called Bitcoin. And by holding those keys yourself, your life has just now become independent. You're no longer relying on a bank to secure your life. You're no longer relying on other people to secure your life. I mean, you may be in some ways, but to the degree that you invest in Bitcoin and take responsibility for your own finances, it's like cutting that umbilical cord that your life has become independent. You have become sovereign over your own little bit of Bitcoin on the blockchain. And even if that independence is very little in the beginning, just like the independence of a baby when it's born is a very small amount of independence, but it's physical independence. The baby is no longer dependent on the mother. And as it grows, it gains independence more and more and more until it's fully grown and fully independent, like a person who's able to earn wages and provide for themselves without additional financial assistance. So there's a journey, there's a growth that takes place, but it all begins with that separation of the umbilical cord. It all begins with that first transaction on the blockchain. When your life enters the blockchain for the first time, and you, for the first time, have self-responsibility by holding your own keys to your coins, by holding your own destiny, your own life in your hands, what you choose to do with those coins, what you choose to do with your life force, how you plan to use it in the future, what you plan to accomplish in this world. That's how you become a king in the kingdom of Bitcoin. But you have to be born into this information kingdom, this spiritual kingdom, this kingdom of the invisible, kingdom of the spirit. Otherwise, there's no other way to see the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says, except a man be born again by being born of the spirit. He cannot see the kingdom of God. It's impossible, except a man be born of water first and of the spirit second. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Wow, isn't that deep? A baby, when it is born, takes its first breath. And that is another symbol for the spirit. Breath is spirit. It's air. It's that thing that you need. You need to breathe, right, for life. It's that thing that you need that you can't see. You breathe in and you breathe out. And you don't know what's going in and what's coming out other than air. It's, just, it's invisible. And it seems to be there's nothing there. It's just air. But yet, that's necessary for life. You need that oxygen. You need that spirit. That's something that comes at the time of birth. So here again, you know, in previous episodes, we've talked about the connection between Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and Bitcoin. And so here again, we have that same connection coming in the symbolism of childbirth, that the child, when it is born, is when it takes its first breath. It receives the spirit of life for the first time when it's born. Okay, let's not get carried away because the Bible also says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Okay, so, but still, it's very significant that the baby takes his first breath only after he's born. That's a special moment, a special receiving of the Spirit at that time. Deep. There's so much to this. 
Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that have a pertinent message to Christians today? For 2,000 years, Christians have been sort of in the womb, have been incubating, so to speak, have been growing and forming in the womb in the support of the church structure. But the church age has come to an end. It doesn't mean the church will cease to exist. But the time has come for the birth. The time has come for Christians to start becoming independent of their mother church. Some might be blessed with a church where they can still get nourishing milk. Others may not. You know, if a woman is on medications of some kinds, the milk is not fit for consumption and the baby has to be put on formula. There are some churches whose doctrines have been tainted and are no longer fit for consumption. And in those cases, the members have to be given formula. They have to be given a substitute that is calculated to meet their nutritional needs. You might have to study materials that are coming from sources other than your church, if your church has tainted doctrines. A lot of deep lessons can be drawn from this. So we've talked a lot about how this kind of applies on a personal level, how, you know, a person gets into Bitcoin, does their first transaction and so forth. But what about on a corporate level? How is this birth taking place on a large scale in fulfillment of the prophecy in First Thessalonians, where it says that destruction comes as travail upon a woman with child? Well, First comes the destruction. That's got to be clear. And exactly what form that's going to take, I think we're going to see very soon here. And then after that destruction, after the birth pangs, culminating in, in, in the worst, most intense contractions when the baby is finally pushed out, that's when it culminates in the birth itself. And so we're looking at a time of destruction. What will that destruction look like? Will it be atomic bombs flying? Or will it be destruction of wealth? Or will it be both? The Bible speaks of destruction by fire, but we also talk about loss of money in stock markets and places like that as wealth being burned. Even in the crypto world, we talk about coins being burned whenever they are destroyed. So what will the coming weeks actually bring? We'll have to see. But we know we can be watching for them. Just like when you see that first sign that the woman's mind is changing and that her body is switching gears and that she's convinced that she's no longer pregnant, then you know that the contractions are going to start after that. And so you can be watching for them and you'll see what takes place. So in the same way, we see the signs of peace and safety. And so we know the destruction is going to begin now. It's just a question of what form it's going to take. So let's just watch and see. But then after this destruction, and mind you, the contractions intensify. They start very light, even imperceptible, and then they slowly intensify. They come and go each time a little stronger until finally the birth. And so in the same way, look for in the coming days something that's going to begin just a little here and there, coming and going. Worse one day, not as bad the next, but generally getting worse and worse and worse until the birth. Okay? That's what you can look forward to in the coming time, if the analogy holds to that degree. Okay, so I think just on a practical note, 
needless to say, this is high time to move your funds into safe locations, safe wallets. Make sure your procedures for securing your seeds are all in order. This is the time to make the preparations. Okay, so I think that was it. I think we've covered what was on my heart to share today, much more even, and it was even a lot deeper than I understood. Yesterday I had a thought upon waking, and I noted it down, and that's kind of what we talked about, but I had no idea how much was in that. So I don't know what the week will hold and what uh, will come next week, but being episode number 21, I think this was a special episode. It's a special turning point in this podcast, and I feel very much that this was a special message today. So I hope it was a blessing to you, and as always, I want to encourage you to look to the Lord for salvation if you are not a Christian. Give your life to Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can save. Owning Bitcoin, you know, being part of the kingdom of Bitcoin is a practical thing that might be a form of salvation in the here and now, but ultimately there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. So trust him, the creator. Commit your life to him and live your life in service to him. And one way to do that, I believe, is to live your life in service to Bitcoin, not with the attitude of gaining for your own benefit, but in the attitude of furthering the kingdom of God through spreading the kingdom of Bitcoin, orange pilling, promoting Bitcoin adoption, lightning adoption. And depending on what actually happens in the coming time as governments begin to roll out the CBDCs in the coming time, that's more important than ever to have in the hands of people something working, an alternative that allows them to exchange value, to exchange the benefits of their life efforts with one another without the control of others, to be able to have that self-sovereignty, that ability to make your own decisions and be responsible for your own choices and to have the agency to do without needing the permission of others and without being dependent on others. It's time to be born, time to be separate and to take your first breath. All right, if you've enjoyed this podcast, support it, contribute through Bitcoin Sermons at fountain.fm. That's the lightning address where you can contribute. And you can also find that on bitcoinsermons.substack.com. And if you'd like to email, you can send an email to bitcoinsermons at substack.com. And I would enjoy hearing from you. And I hope to speak to you again. We'll see what the future holds. I personally, I do this and I try to make the best of every moment that I have, every week that I have, because I don't know how long my life will last. I don't know how long I will be able to continue to deliver messages to you. So I simply take every opportunity, every day as it comes. And it's always my prayer that the Lord gives you what he wants for you to hear each week. And I hope that was the case today. All right. God bless you and keep watching and stay alert this week. My hope is that ultimately we will meet in the kingdom of God. Bye-bye.